we're going to continue looking at the Godhead, the doctrine of the Godhead, and just kind of really introducing it. Uh, we're going to move away and, and do some other things pertaining to the Godhead and uh, so forth. But I just kind of wanted to kind of introduce, continue to introduce it to us this morning. We started last week looking at the issue of uh, really this all falls under the heading of some things that Paul requires us to know. And uh, it's kind of hard to put all that on a YouTube page and, you know, playlist and everything, but uh, we will probably have something just for the Godhead. I'm not sure how we're going to do that just yet. But as we look at this and as Paul, again, talks about, uses the word Godhead, that is a better word than Trinity because it's a scriptural word. And he uses it three times. And when he does that, that pretty sets forth for us what it is. And uh, 1 John 5, verse 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. There are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. And again, we introduced the issue of the Godhead last time as three distinct individuals that make up the Godhead. The Godhead is a spiritual team. They, they work together. They're in unity. We looked at 1 Corinthians 12, and we saw the, the, the three, the Holy Spirit. I'll just look over there, look, 1 Corinthians 12, just so that we see it, and where Paul lays out kind of how the Godhead works the three different areas of operation here when it comes when it's pertaining to uh, the spiritual gifts. Verse 4, now these are, there are a diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. And there's that division, those three areas, and they work in harmony, work together all designed to, to, to fulfill, to accomplish, to work out the one purpose, the one goal, the one plan that God the Father has. And as we go along, we'll see that plan, we'll see that purpose, and then we'll begin to see that God, the Godhead has a specific lifestyle that they live, and they live for one another. And they live in such a manner of where they be really literally begin to think about themselves last. They think about the other member first. If you come over to Philippians uh, chapter uh, 2, and we'll just see this idea, and then we'll get on with this morning over in, uh, in 1 John. So the Godhead has a specific lifestyle that they enjoy. Uh, there's no competition there's no one trying to up the other one. There, all there is is simply unity and harmony. And they have specific roles. They have specific areas of responsibility. Do, do you remember when James and John's mom came to the Lord and said, Hey, I want you to put my two boys on your right hand and your left hand. And you know what the son said? The, the Lord said, I can't. That's not my thing to give. That belongs to the father. What did he know? He knew his role. He knew the role of the father, see? It wasn't a slap against James and John. It was just, you're asking some. Now, by the way, the other 10, they got mad. What are you trying to pull the wool? You know, you went and got mommy to come and, you know, argue out your case. 
you know, your mama's boys, you know, you know how that went, you know. <laughs> Philippians 2, if you just notice here, verse 1, if there, therefore, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minding, having the same, see the same, the same love, the same mindset, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. That's the mindset of the Godhead. Verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This mindset of oneness, of like-mindedness, of one accord, of fellowship, of bowels of mercy, of joy, of like mind, all of this oneness, they all understand their roles. They all understand their different areas of responsibility. And, they're, and, and they're, they're there and they have these to do as members of the Godhead. So they are distinct and individual of each other. But yet, what are they doing? They're working together to fulfill the ultimate goal. The Father... He has the ultimate responsibility of the operations. He's, it's his plan that is going to become, uh, uh, is what is being worked on and accomplished. Come on over with me to 1 John chapter 4. First uh, John chapter 4. It's the Father. He has a particular role and responsibility. Again, that doesn't mean that he's more God than the Son and the Holy Spirit. The son, he has an area of responsibility and an area of role. That doesn't mean that he is less God than Father or more God than Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a her, 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 heresy uh, out there in, amongst Christianity that says that there is a hierarchy within the Godhead. And in Scripture, there is not. And we're going to talk about that as we go along here. In Scripture, the way that things are taught, the way Scripture reads indicates that that is not true. There's an idea in, in theology that God is just one. And in the Old Testament, He's presented as Father. In the Gospels, he's presented as Son. In Acts, he's presented as Spirit. And he takes on those three roles of, I'm the Father, tell you what to do, boss you around. And I'm the Son, I'm here. And, and you know what? When you read Scripture, Scripture doesn't talk that way. There's a distinction between them, but there's a, also a unity. There are three individuals who make up the Godhead. The Father... He's got a particular role and an area of responsibility that doesn't make him more God than the Son. Again, the Son, he has an area of responsibility that doesn't make him superior to or, or inferior to either member of the Godhead. See, the Holy Spirit, he's got an area of responsibility. As we go through, we'll see the Holy Spirit's area of responsibility is writing the Word of God. Yeah, I told you First John, right? Get, get, look, look, look. Look at 2 Peter 1, <laughs> just a book over, a book back. 2 Peter 1, verse number 20 and 21. 
Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. In Genesis 1 and verse number 3, on that first day, the Spirit moves across the deeps of the water, and God said, the Spirit goes to work, God goes to work. By the way, God speaking, that's the Father's plan being spoken out by the Son. John 1 says so, okay? So you've got this activity happening, and the Holy Spirit, just because the Holy Spirit is over here doing this, doesn't make him inferior or less than or more than God. No member is viewed more superior than the other. And again, we now come back to 1 John 4. You find that there are various roles and responsibilities throughout the Scripture that, they, that teach this mutual working together. In theology, it's called subjection, mutual subjection. They're subjecting to each other as they're going. Now, 1 John 4 what I wanted you to see this morning, again, you have to remember what does Romans 15, 4 say? Whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning. We're going to learn some things about God by looking at other verses, okay? Paul alludes to that. He, makes, he, he says, you better know your Bible because I'm, by the way, I, I, I got a book yesterday. Dad gave it to me about all of Paul's Old Testament quotes, <laughs> All the passages and, and, and you know, big old book like that, you know, they go through it. Why does Paul quote that Old Testament? And he never says in fulfillment of, he just says as it is written. Why? There's a parallel situation back here that matches what's going on over here today and see what God did and how God interacted with them and what he requires. That's going to be similar over here. See? Problem, the difference is, is in that Old Testament, he was an if and then. If you obey, then great. If not, I'm cursing you. Today he doesn't do the, the if then. But there's that similar attitude. So in 1 John 4, there's a wonderful verse in verse 8. And I, I just want to spend the morning with you looking at this issue here in verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is what? His love. Now if you think about this, when we're talking about who the Godhead is, they're individual. They have individual responsibilities. By the way, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve. So they have emotion. The Lord cried. The Lord, and he, 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 God doesn't get tired, but in his humanity, what else? He was worn out. He was hungry. You think about after the resurrection, he comes down and shows up in the room with the guys, and he says, hey, what do you got to eat? <laughs> I've been a little busy. I'm hungry. What you got to eat? So they sit and he eats. So when you think about the Godhead, they have emotion, they, have, they, have, they laugh, they rejoice, there's joy, there's a thought process. They have all of that, but notice the function here, God is loved. The Godhead, all three, what do they do? They love one another. That's where it starts. They, they are love's source, where love, charity where that starts is with God. God doesn't choose to love or to be loved. Okay? He is love. See, that's a completely different thing. We, oh, God is, you know, God loved you. Yes, he did. 
But when did he love you? See, where did he? So not, but where God is, wherever God is, guess what? There's love. He's love. And by the way, God doesn't choose to love or be loved after creation. This is before creation. Okay, we'll see a verse in a, in a minute about that. So when you think about where God is, there is love. There's a desire to honor to value, to esteem, to glorify each other. If you think about love, I love my wife, Linda. If I didn't, she wouldn't have been my wife, but I love her. So what do I do? I honor her, I value her, I esteem, I hold her in the Philippians 2 manner. (laughs) I hold her in high regard. Now, the rest of you I love, but not like I love my wife. Okay, I value and I esteem you just a little lower, okay? All right, get that on the tape for, you know, cover myself, (laughs) okay? But see, the thing is, is when you think about God is love, the first to express love, the exercise of love, the expression of love is the three members of the Godhead. They're the first ones to put it on display. So there's this relationship that is amongst them that is this issue of love, a desire to have the best interest of the other persons at heart. And what it begins to do is this tells us about how the God God ahead operates and how they think and how they function, because the first place they think about is the betterment of the other, Philippians 2. They think about, hey, how do I do that over there? How do I make them better? Not how do I get better, how do I make them better? How do I make the Father better? How do I make the Son better? How do I make the Spirit better? How, how, I, I love them. And when you begin to think about God's love, love has to have an object. Okay, true love isn't self-centered, isn't self-desired. What is the object of God's love? The other member of the Godhead. They love and value each other. They enjoy this relationship of loving one another. Verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God Toward who? Us. Now, I know First John's little flock, ages to come, I get that. But us, think about humanity. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God. Isn't that interesting? Your love for God wanes, doesn't it? You know, one day you're good, next day you're bad. One day, the other day you're curse God and die, you know. It's not that, but rather what is it? But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The The love of the Godhead didn't keep, they didn't keep this to themselves. What did they do? They put it toward humanity. They came in, they chose to extend their love toward humanity. So much so, Romans 5, 8, but God committed his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. When you were his enemy, you were a sinner, you were a dirty, rotten rascal, and yet what did he do? He sent his love. He extended his love toward humanity. Now what is God doing through the gospel? He's inviting humanity to come and join him in his love. And the love of God has been extended to man. And that very relationship, he couldn't contain it. He had to, they had to express it, manifest it, extend it out. Verse 16, just drop down for time. And we know, I'm sorry, and we have known and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Again, God, he, God is love, verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. The love that the Godhead eternally possessed has been extended and manifested to humanity, and now humanity can do what? Reciprocate and put it back, give it back. You follow that? This is who they are. They start as love. They have this interaction with each other. And the most amazing characteristic nature of God, of the Godhead, is love is the foundation of it. And it's love then extended to the center. And that center can now express back the love of God. Boy, what a wonderful relationship we have with him and can have with each other. As we move in our thinking of this moving into the realm of the lifestyle of the Godhead, God couldn't contain, come come back over to Titus chapter 1. God couldn't contain his love. You know, true love can't be contained. It has to be expressed. It has to be shared with others. It can't just be held on to and put it over in a little box and crack it open, you know, anniversary day one time a year. It can't be. True love, it's going to express itself. It's going to move. And once the, the members of the Godhead they, they, they break out of that. One of the members, the, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word, he breaks out of that love relationship that he's enjoyed for eternity. That he's come along and, and he's enjoyed. He, the Lord tells the, the Father in, in John, he says, let's go back to the glory I had back with you way back in the beginning. <laughs> before all of this mess. Now, that's R.J.'s version of the verse. And he says he leaves that relationship of love to come down here, be made of flesh, walk amongst men for the very purpose of manifesting that love of the Godhead for all of humanity. When you think about that, he, he, you know what? The son could have said, I don't want to do it. They're dirty. They stink. They're Gentiles. They're dogs. They're wicked. They're immoral. They're idolatrous. I don't want to go down there. But he didn't say that. He says, you know, Father, you got a plan? I'm, I'm on board. 
and I'll go, and I'll leave. That's why on Calvary, when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what the first thing he says, he calls out to the Father. But then as those three hours of darkness begin and he begins to be made sin, he says, my God, my God. He's changed from that intimate relationship of Father to that justice relationship of God Almighty. And he does that, and he says, I'm not, I'm not a man, I'm a worm. I'm dying for him, I'm made sin. He does that, but God committed his love toward us. You see, he stepped out of eternity. He's been enjoying a, a relationship of love and of gratitude, of value and of esteem. And he came down and was made a man, and he walked among men, and he was ridiculed. He's beaten. He's rejected, and he does it all to manifest that love that the Godhead had so that others could come and be a part of it and enjoy it. And the verse that sets that in the case in, in the stone is Titus 1 and verse 2. Titus 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. Now you think about that verse. You've got the Godhead. They can't lie. They promise. But when did they promise? Before the world began. Before Genesis 1.1. Now let me ask you something. In, okay, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's the creation of the angelic realm. That's the creation of, of, okay. Who was there before Genesis 1-1? Just the members of the Godhead. God, he's everlasting from everlasting. So the three members of the Godhead are the only people there. And what did they do? They promised. Promised to who? To themselves. What did they promise? eternal life. You see, they promise something within themselves. That thing about promise, that's a binding agreement between two parties. Each member of the Godhead bound themselves to each other to provide the plan, to, to work the plan, to invest in the plan that was going to provide eternal life to a fallen humanity. We call that redemption. The plan of redemption. By the way, love is going to equal what? Redemption and life. When you get eternal life, where did you get? You got God's life now. You've got everlasting life. You see, God's love rested in the three. They come to, they agree together to now go and secure humanity. A fallen humanity, by the way. Otherwise, if it wasn't fallen, they wouldn't need eternal life. They'd be good to go. So what does that mean? What, you think about all the characteristics of God, omniscient, omnipotent, all the, all the omnis. And everybody goes, oh, see, there he was. Verse 2 tells you he already knew the end of the story before the story was, began. See, now we're going to go back to Proverbs 3, well, not today, but we'll go back to Proverbs and 3, and we see the blueprint, and we see all the working of it. But for now, what I want you to see is that it takes all three to provide eternal life. 
not just one. They come together, they agree, they, bound, they bind themselves to achieve the, the plan called eternal life, redemption. It takes the three participating together to accomplish that. One just can't do it. It's the Father's idea, it's the Father's plan, it's the Son going and dying, and it's the Spirit and the power thereof. See, there's all of them are there. Eternal life, all three are described as give as participating as as being there in that issue of eternal life. So the formula for everlasting life, the formula for eternal life requires all three to be involved. You can't disassociate one. You can't say, well, the father's more superior, the father commanded and the son did. No, not according to Philippians 2. When we get down into verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, that's not the case at all. You understand that? I said that. They're looking at me like, huh? Look at Philippians 2 on your way to John 17. Look at Philippians 2. You see, that the, 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 there's, that, there's a doctrine out there called uh, eternal subordination. And that, that doctrine basically says that the, that the Godhead has a hierarchy and that the Father is the top, and the Son is subordinate to the Father, has been and always will be, and the Spirit is subordinate to the Son and to the Father. And that's just heresy. And the idea of a, heretic, of a hierarchy is heresy. Look at Philippians 2. I, we'll just do this real quick. We're going to spend some time in, in the future uh, in these verses. But think about verse, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, so who's the who? Christ Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So what does the Lord think he is? He's God. He's equal with God. He's not superior or inferior. He's what? Equal. That means what? We're all, we're all equal. You, you see, I, okay, enough said, we can go on. No, no keep reading, because usually that's not where theology likes to stop. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found and fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see that thing about he humbled himself? That means that he is in a position here that he was never in before. He was never in this position before so he did what? He humbled himself. He humbled himself. And that thing about humbling, we'll have to look into in the Greek and all that because of kenosis. And by the way, he does not empty himself of all of his deity. We have a song that says that. We have a doctrine that says that he is in kenosis here. So he emptied himself of deity. He does not empty himself of deity. He chose to do what? Be made in the likeness of humanity. He never loses his deity. His deity stays intact. He is God and man, 100% both sides. And I'll warn you, if, when you when, as we're thinking about this, because I'm thinking about it, you cannot promote his deity at, at sacrificing his humanity or vice versa. You can't promote his humanity by sacrificing his deity. You have to promote both. Okay, 
Because if you demote his humanity and keep and promote his deity, you've just whitewashed the kinsman redeemer. You can't do that. So if you promote his humanity and lessen his deity, now you can't do that because what did he say? What did the father give him the permission to do? Give his life, take his life, lay it down. No man can do that. I can do it. He can't do that unless he's what? God. You see, you can't, you got to be careful. And we'll look at all that as we go, okay? My, that's not my point this morning. My point is God is love. <laughs> and what did he do? He left heaven's glory and he came here and it takes all three. All three. So the formula for eternal life requires all three. You can't do it with one or two. You need all three. You follow that? Okay? Therefore, there is no hierarchy. We're going to work together. We're a unit. We're in a unit son. Okay? Now, go over to John 17, and let's just spend a few minutes seeing all three in connection with eternal life and the plan of redemption. John 17. John 17 and verse 3. John 17 and verse 3. John 17, 3. And this, well, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son, and thy son also may glorify thee. So John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. Not Matthew 6. This is, they've come out of the Garden of Gethsemane. They've, I'm, I'm sorry, they've come out of the upper room. They're headed to the garden, and the Lord prays this. And he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. Now watch. That they, they, the believers, the believing remnant specifically, might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Note who, the true God, who? The Father, verse 1. The Father is life. What is eternal life? The eternal life is to get to know you, Father. You're there. You're a part of it. Say, you're, they are going to get you and Jesus Christ. Not only are we going to get to know you, Father, but we're going to get to know the Son, and we're going to get to know the Holy Spirit. They're all three there. And by the way, come back to chapter 14 of John. In John 14, verse 6, what does Jesus say here? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the what? The life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's a part of the equation, isn't he? The Father, he has the plan of eternal life. He's got the redemptive plan, and that redemptive plan sits in a part of the big plan called glory, Ephesians chapter number 1. And he's got this big plan, and his, the Father's plan is all surrounded in the, 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 what the Father has vested in the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's got this big plan called glory, and there's a sliver of it over here called eternal life, and in this part of the plan called eternal life, of the big plan called glory, the Father is the one instigating the life, the Son is the one instigating eternal life, and you come over to Romans chapter number 8, and guess who else is in, instrument in instituting eternal life? The Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8. 
Is this making any sense? I hope so. It does in my feeble brain, so I'm hoping it does in your big brains. Okay? Romans 8. Romans 8. And notice verse 2. For the law of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit of life, where? In Christ Jesus, in that redemptive. Verse 10, And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life, because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. You see, actually verse 11 has got all three members in it. It's got you in Christ. The spirit resurrecting Christ is the same spirit that's going to resurrect you. And you're going to all do it by him, the father and his plan. It's all right there. They're all three necessary. So God is love, all three, and then God is life, eternal life, all three participate together. Now come back to Titus chapter 1. Because the question comes up in verse 2 when he says, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. The question comes up, well, how do you know it's all three, and how do you know it's Godhead, and how do you know it's all three members of the Godhead, and how do you know that all three members are necessary to make eternal life possible for a fallen creation, the work of redemption? How do you know that verse 3 is all three? A verse 2 is all three, right? That's usually what everybody says. Well, watch Paul develop it within Titus. Come over to chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus 3 and verse 4. But after the kindness and love, see that love of God our Savior toward man appeared. There's 1 John 4. The love of God toward man. Uh, Titus 3, 4. Sorry. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. See how you got all three there? You've got God our Savior. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got love and kindness. Verse 6, which He shed on us abundantly. He, the Father, He, the Holy Ghost, shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So when he uses God, our Savior, and he's using that terminology, obviously in 1-2, God is indicating the work of all three here in, in, in verse 4, 5, and 6. Verse 6, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So you've got the love of God, our Savior, but after the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man appeared. There's the Father. He, he, the Father, shed His mercy, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. His mercy, the Father. So the Father is manifesting the fallen humanity by the way of the Holy Ghost. And in verse 6 is the Son. 
which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So you've got God the Father. What's he going to do? He's got love and kindness, and he's got an eternal life plan, and he's working through the Holy Ghost work in our inner man and through the, whole, the, the Son and his redemption paid at Calvary. You've got all three in the book that leads back to chapter 1, verse 2, saying that God is all three, and Paul develops that out. The engage, all three are engaged in the work of redemption. The Father thought it out, the Son bought it out, and the Spirit worked it out. And that's what's happening. Now, verse 7. That, being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The hope of what? The hope of eternal life, which God promised before the world began. See that? The hope dragging us back to the very beginning. So the lifestyle of the Godhead, it starts in love. But then it's producing a life to work out over here. So when we begin to think about God, and we think about the Godhead, there's three individual members, they're working. Now, come to to Philippians 2. We begin to work this out and we begin to, to, to do some things uh, and, and we begin to see some things as we move forward here. There's going to be some, some areas that are going to, all three members are working in to accomplish the ultimate goal. And that ultimate goal is the redemption of humanity. That ultimate goal is Ephesians 1 verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He's going to gather it all back under the headship and the kingship and the, of, of his son, whether it's in heaven or in earth. Heaven, the church, the body of Christ. Earth, the nation of Israel, the believing remnant, the true Israel of God. And as they sit and as they function in that governmental structure, he says that's what the whole goal has been, the father speaking. And the son says, yep, yep, yep. And the, and the, and the spirit says, let's go do it. Okay? You've got this community. It sits in love. It sits in life, eternal life. Now, we've got a few minutes. If you think about love, go back to Philippians 2, and you think about grace and the grace of God. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, right? That's what we always say. But then as we begin to learn we begin to learn that it's really grace rightly applied changes everything. And then as we grow and we begin to learn more, then we learn that it's glory's revelation that accomplished Christ's exaltation. So you begin to learn, you begin to grow, and you begin to see the big of it. Philippians 2 Verse number two, fulfill verse one, if there therefore be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercy, fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now that's the hinge. Because what was his mindset before that? 
love and life. The Father, he's got the plan. We're going to go do it. I'm going to go do. And we have this oneness, this one accord. So when the Father lays the plan out, he does not say to the Son, you are doing this. That wouldn't be very what? Loving. Wouldn't be very gracious, would it? One of the characteristics of God is grace. He's a gracious God. What does he say? The Father says, here's the plan. The son looks at it and says, you know what? I'm going to do that. I want to play that role. Can I be that guy? And the father says, sure. And the Holy Spirit says, well, if he's going to do that, then I'm going to do this. And the father says, okay. And the father says, then I'm going to do this. He's got the plan. The hierarchy isn't there. The barking of orders isn't there. There is not a command by the father, son, you're going to go. You're going to walk on the forth. You're going to die, 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 die. He doesn't do that at all. He says, here's the redemptive plan, guys. Let's make the agreement before the foundation of the world, and let's go do it. And that then brings in verse 6, 7, and 8, because what is the, what is the mindset of Christ? Well, it is verse 2 and 3 of oneness and the, 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 the uh, uh, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. But it is also verse 6. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He is not worried about his God, his deity. He's not worried about losing deity. He's not jealous of others. He just says, I'm God. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation. What was his reputation? He's God. He's creator God. He's Jehovah. He's Messiah. That's a reputation. He says, I, I made myself of no re- I let that go. I decided the plan calls for me to come down here and be born of a man, born of a woman, and humanity. We'll look at all the verses in Hebrews. By the way, he's made a little lower than the angels. Well, verse 7 goes on to say that he took upon him the form of a servant. Angels are ministering spirits. They're servants. But he goes, I'm lower than the angel. He's down here on our level. We're, we're the lowest of the servants. He goes, I, I, gave, I gave up my as reputation. He should be what? Head servant. He's not. He's down low. Then, he, then the verse goes on and says, and was made in the likeness of men. That's very likeness. He had two legs, two arms. A head. He's the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2 calls him. See? He looked like you. He actually, Song of Solomon gives a description of the Lord, and you know what he is? He just looks like a regular old Jew. There's not, no Superman, no cape, no Batman, no signals, no none of that. He's just a regular-looking Jew. He goes, I, I'm not, why? Because it's not the goal. The goal wasn't promotion. The goal was what? redemption. The goal was to come in and to manifest the lifestyle, the love and the life of the Godhead. Verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He humbles himself. He does this to himself. The Father's plan calls for him to be, to, to be this, and he says, I choose to do that. I humbled myself. I choose to do that. Okay? But then he goes further. 
and being and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Not just obedient to death, because what do all men do? Die. It's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. You see, he became obedient to death. Why? Because he became a man, but even the death of the cross. That's a deeper death. That's a more significant death. And we'll get down there, hopefully about Easter time, we'll look at that, okay? See, he doesn't just look at this and go, okay, here we go, I'm going to go, and this is going to be a wonderful time, and we're going to go through, and we're going to have... No, he says, there's a job to accomplish, and I choose to do that job. And because he chose to do that, the father doesn't say, okay, son, come here, word, you're up, you know, get in there. The son says, I'm going to do that, and he goes and does it. The Spirit comes along, same thing, and says, you know what, because he's doing that, then I'm going to play this role. And I'll be the cause of and do this and do, I'm going to play this. And the Father says, good, because that's what's required for us to fulfill our promise to ourselves of providing eternal life for humanity. And then the Father takes a piece of it and says, okay, we're all, we're good? This part of it, We're going to keep secret. That part we're going to reveal. And the son says, that's a good plan. Let's go. And off they go. It starts with that foundation of God is love. And his true love, he couldn't contain. He needed to be, he, want, he wanted it to be manifested and put on display. And he says, humanity is where we're going to do it. Creation is where we're going to do it. That stuff in Romans 1, when he talks there about the creation around them, so that they can, uh, uh, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they're, you look around at creation, and you know what you know? There's a creator. Oh, but Rick, no, you know there's a creator. Man's devised mechanisms to defunct that. But you know there's a... Why? Because of what he's doing. Okay? Now, we're going to... It's time to quit. We're going to move forward. Again, just looking at the doc of the Godhead. One, God's love. Love starts there. Charity. The end of the commandment is charity. Do you know where charity starts? In God, charity is love in action. Love working. What did the Godhead go do? Let's go do it. Boom. And off they went. They're not subordinate to each other. They're independent, but yet they work together. There's no one higher than the other, one inferior. Scripture does not teach that. We'll see that as we go, okay? But that love that they had is what's producing now eternal life and the mechanisms, the plan of redemption. So if you think about it, love equals redemption, and that's the life, eternal life. Okay? All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for your love. And we thank you for the life that you've provided for us from before the foundation of the world in your Son, in your plan of redemption. And while we th know that thank you doesn't seem to be enough, it's all that you require because it comes from a heart of gratitude. 
of understanding where we would be if it wasn't for you, most men miserable. And we're grateful for having eternal life and for the future of serving you in the heavenly places. In your name we pray, amen. All right, thank you guys.